Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are listening to Let's Talk Try, the official Let's Go Try podcast. Swung on, lines the deep left field. It is gone! This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 165. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and in this week's episode, we'll have a meatball for you, some interesting tidbits of information. We'll continue our season preview for Cleveland and the over-under previews, talk about Prokota projections and the BP annual that Merritt and I both received, and of course, Cleveland did some signings this week. Uh, Billy Hamilton, Ben Gamble, they exist, and they are technically a member of the Cleveland organization. We have to talk about that and acknowledge it. And of course, we ask you a poll on Twitter, and we'll talk about that. Joining me for all that and more is another Mr. Merritt Rolfing. Merritt, how you doing? Great. How was your Valentine's Day? Was it nice and fun and, and full of love and, and whatnot? It was great, yeah. It's fun. I didn't do anything, but it was No? Fun. No. I didn't really well, yeah, I, I can't say that. We had, um, my in-laws took our kids, so we just went to the mall and walked around. That's basically. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> we have three kids. That's, that's a vacation. That's like a week-long vacation equivalent thing. So. Holy shit. That's hilarious. Yeah, we basically <laughs> did not much at all. We just kind of hung out and it was you know nice i didn't have to work and i didn't either and we just kind of we watched tenet and uh what a movie that is let me tell you <laughs> i started it and didn't even finish it before the rental period stopped anyway that was so that and i had some jambalaya so that was my gumbo yeah, that's all you need is tenet and jambalaya and you're uh... love the good life baby some etouffee as well i cracked my tooth so that's I mean, you're screwed as an adult when you do that, right? Because it's not like they're, they're growing back. Right? Well, it's a crown, technically. I got a root canal on Friday, and I have to go back later for them to finish it. And I can journey back to the old the, the dentists. It's exciting <laughs> stuff. That's my life. <laughs> do you know what's less gross than your broken tooth? <laughs> that sound. Meatball. Because it's meatballs, Merritt. Of course, it's the off-season, so it's Merritt's moldy meatball. Um, we'll take us back in time for a fun little tidbit of information about the Indians that we serve up over the plate for people to, uh, I guess, hit somewhere what do you got Mary? so did you know that there have only been 17 people to uh, log an ops over a thousand uh in cleveland baseball history which i know a thousand ops is incredible obviously um you 450 on base plus a 550 slugging or some such like that but i just thought it would be more people i don't know why i just i guess because of the 90s and because they've been around forever is that individuals or like repeat seasons like jim tomey did it in this season, in this season, um, these are individual seasons done by men. Yes, exactly. So, so, so you're exactly there are repeats, and it's your typical. You know, Jim Tomey's number one, obviously eleven twenty two back in two thousand two. Uh, Manny Bell, Trish Speaker, Earl Averill are your top five. Tomey pops up several more times. Julius Joe Jackson's in there several times. It's the typicals. Boudreaux is a Hafner, and then I'm just kind of looking through this because I was curious to see kind of you know best seasons and whatnot. And this dude pops up named uh, Ed Morgan. And, I'm like, and I said to me, myself, who the hell is Ed Morgan? And um, Ed Morgan is a very interesting character. Uh, and that's what, what my uh, moldy meatball is going to send her around uh, today. Uh, so Ed Morgan played for six years in Cleveland. Additionally, with a year in Boston. Uh, he only played more than a hundred. He played, let's see, one year. The year he hit it with an OPS over 1,000, uh, 1,014. He played 150 games. One of only three times that he played more than 150. 30 games uh, with Cleveland was a bit player otherwise, but it's weird because from uh, 1928 to 1932, he posted a batting line of 327, 410, 500, which I mean, I don't know about you, Matt, but I think that's pretty goddamn impressive. Uh, he also led the league in strikeouts in 1930. And also he was absolutely dreadful at first base committing 108 errors in his career, uh, which 
I'll be honest with you. I don't know if that's a lot or not. In your brain, is that a lot of errors? Because I don't really pay attention to errors anymore. But it's a 983 fielding percentage career, which I don't think is very good. You want over nine, like like 990, right? Yeah, I, I think that's probably bad. I, I mean, I'm cheating here, but I'm looking at like his fan graphs page. And on the defense column, it's just all big negatives. It's, okay, it looks like yeah, he's a so, DH. He might as so, well just be a DH. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, <laughs> it doesn't like, exist. But. He, um, uh, Walter Johnson, the fan pitcher, became the, uh, the manager of Cleveland uh, back in like 1930, something like that. And he just hated this dude, Morgan, because he was just such a stone-handed dude at first base. But it's just interesting to see this guy who just totally a man born purely out of time. Uh, strikes out a whole ton. Like I said, led the league in strikeouts once because he got to play 150 games. Uh, if you look at like the top strikeout numbers over those the years that he was playing, if you were to prorate his numbers out to like 162 games, he'd be up there with the Ruths and the Foxes of the world as far as K rate. But um, yeah, this has got an all bat, big swinging, big strikeout guy who could not play the field worth a damn. You just wonder where this guy would have shown up if he were born born you know what, 40 years later. Would he? Even play? I don't know. His dad's name was J.P. Morgan. Not that J.P. Morgan, but the guy who owned a box factory, which I thought was kind of funny. Because uh, I'm a box factory. <laughs> if, if you read through this, the, the Sabre thing about it, it's like, they can manufacture both cardboard and wood boxes. Damn, this guy does it all. But, it's, um, it's funny you mentioned how, how much he struck out, and he was just a strikeout machine, and he struck out 9.9% of the time. <laughs> yeah, si- it's just 66 crazy times to lead the league. Like, <laughs> Which back 60, then is just bonkers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 66, 46, and 44 over between 1930 and 1932. Um, but yeah, just I mean, a, a tremendous threat of the plate. 136 RBIs in 1930. The ball was a little bit lively that year, I guess, so that wasn't as much as you might think. But even so, 5.7 wins by replacement, despite being... As I mentioned before, completely ham-handed uh, defensively. Uh, it's yeah. crazy too that like he didn't just do it one year; he did it the year after. But he was a different kind of good. Like he had an he had an OPS of what was that five sixty two in nineteen thirty one. But then he also walked fifteen percent of the time and only had eleven home runs compared to twenty six. So he like completely changed who he was, but was probably a better overall offensive player. That's really that is a really interesting two year span that he had where he's probably one of the best, I would assume the best offensive player in those couple of years. He, I mean, I mean, again, we're talking about the same era when with like, you know, like I, I'm just kind of looking to comp him, like compared to other guys. Like, and this is the same era when like Ruth is at his height and Garrig and Fox and all these guys, but still like if you have a guy who hits 47 doubles, 11 triples and 26 home runs, I don't really care who you are. Like that's, that's incredible. That's, um, that's a hell of a hitter, and and two hundred hits on top of all of that. So he hit three fifty over two years, and was just an absolute monster. Then he just completely fell off too. So I mean, that's got to be injuries, right? Something I can't imagine. He just I, got I, that bad. I, I did a little looking into it. I mean, outside of him, his inability to play first base, it just seemed like he just became bad. Like he just was no longer able to do it anymore. So it could have been a combination of self inflicted stuff, injury, and just you know. Just the general it, bad. Yeah, it was it was it was it was an era when I don't know, maybe he just caught he just caught the the the, the, the wobbly knee disease or something like that, and that was it for him or something <laughs> like that, you know? He caught the wobbles and he couldn't hit he it. He got he, he got the sweating sickness, which is a thing I learned about just a day ago, which is a real thing apparently, but he just got that and that was it. And who knows? But yeah, anyway. Yeah, I just I just thought it was kind of a, a neat a neat neat little thing. I put that in my Hall of Fame of meatballs. That's a really good one. I like that. Just because his two-year span is really fun. But So, uh, so yeah, back in uh, modern-day uh, baseball, the we are technically starting. Um, as far as I know, everything's going ahead. They're already down there in Arizona for the spring training. Um, so Just course, like last year, right? Yeah, where everything went fine. Nothing was canceled <laughs> yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so now we're at our point um, where we didn't really get to do it last year because it, everything got steamrolled. But we're doing our season preview stuff this year. One of the things is just doing these over-unders on every player. We're taking a look at them individually, looking at what Zips projects projects for them. And then if we have a writer who has over-under, then we'll leave it up to a vote. This week, we started with uh, Bobby Bradley. We talked about him a little bit last week just because our podcast ran over. But I wanted to have him start this one just because I think he deserves his whole conversation in the segment. But Zips has him um, kind of surprisingly at 535 plate appearances, 26 home runs, a stolen base. Sure, why not? Um, 34% strikeout rate um 84 wrc plus they i mean 290 on base percent is not great 0.3 war overall um i i think i I believe matt wrote this one basically that if he's at those plate appearances we're in trouble (laughs) he should not be getting that many if he's that bad and getting that many i should say if if he's good give him all the plate appearances but if he's hitting slashing 223 294 41 there's an issue because of how many 
you know, they have Naylor, Reyes, Bowers, like somebody else could come in there and hit better than that, I would hope. But um, so, yeah, like Matt, I would take the under on this one just because I don't think he'll, first of all, play that much. And if he does, I think he'd be a better hitter than what he is there. I mean, in a sense, I agree with you. In another sense, I think that's cheating and dumb. So I think that, um, <laughs> see, it's guys like this where like they're like so physically gifted, just absolute monsters, like, you know, in, in batting practice. Where it's like if you just I, and I, I remember I wrote an article like this a year or so ago where like you move the the needle so little right like he walks an extra half a percent of the time you like you add like eight more walks to his to his line and I don't know two more home runs or something like that and all of a sudden he's a three twenty five on base with a five hundred slugging percentage and you're like oh well now we've just created another friend Mil Reyes by accident so that's pretty cool. Uh, you're right. The obviously strikeout rate is exactly what I expect. Quite honestly, yeah, um, I don't, it's not going to be any better at this point. I think. No, it's, no, I mean, no. he hasn't had a ton of major league experience, but he also hasn't shown like this is just who he is. Like he struck out a lot in the minors. He's going to strike out in the majors. He just has to make up everything else with it. It just sucks that like uh, they have all these players. Uh, to 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 your point, I mean, just by virtue of playing time, we have to take the under. But if he gets the playing time, I take the far over because I, I think he'd be worth like a win. Um, because I believe in him, Matt. I believe. Well, I do too. That's what, I think if he gets that playing time, he would hit better than he's at. Is my biggest thing. Oh, and I think that's, just, that's that was gonna be my point. Was it just it sucks so much that Cleveland has all these like guys who seem like they could be good at playing time, and we're gonna get to it in a bit. But like if, as I was leafing through the uh, baseball perspectives annual, just how many of these play, young players who aren't even all that young anymore, but like we've been seeing their names since forever, but either they were blocked by they're blocked by one of basically Francisco Lindor or Jason Kipnis or Carlos Santana and then Fran Reyes showed up too. So it's just like these guys who have these gifts that I, you, you think that if they got the chance, cause they showed this in the minors where as they got more comfortable, they, they became a more valuable player. I mean, you look at Bradley's numbers and quite honestly, like it blows my mind that he hasn't, he's slugged over 500 like once in the minors since he was in rookie ball basically. Uh, and it's cause he strikes out so goddamn much. But it just stinks that we – I feel like we said this constantly about all these different guys. It's like if they get the playing time, we'd see it. But, like, if they were if, – if Cleveland were actually to do that and give all these guys the playing time, the entire roster would be, like, Bradley and Yu Chang and uh, uh, Jake Bowers and uh, but just, you know, just, like, all these guys who we think that if they got a shot, maybe they could figure something out. But if they tried that, they'd lose 145 games because it would just be – a goddamn mess for the first however long, and then you worry about that how, what that does to their psyche, and then and we're dealing with a whole other set of things. Like you know, even the guy who they just got in the what was it in the in the Lindor deal, um, Jimenez, right? Like he's like one of who's like we look at him and go, well, you know what? Give him some playing time; could probably work out. But will it? I don't know. I mean, he's never really been um, a plus hitter. Uh, yeah, I think with him, it's it's you're basically going to have to rely on his glove and whatever you get offensively is is going to be good, but. Um, and on this one, thirty-three uh, percent said the over, sixty-seven under. I think the over is a little optimistic, but I think most people. I believe I believe in those guys with the, who who want the over because they they believe in Bobby Bradley. And I, and oh, I, I want you know the over. What? I I would love nothing more it. than Bobby Bradley to be the breakout player this year. But I just why can't why can't we have a Joey Gallo? Why can't <laughs> why, why not? Can't, why, why not? I one please <laughs> one just one one missile launcher who finally discovers what the shape the shape of the zone is. Maybe he maybe he stole the magic crystal that gave. Uh, Carlos Santana, his preternatural view of the strike zone is always playing MLB the show. Uh, and he's able to, he perfectly understand where the ball will be at all times and when to swing and when to not. Now it's contact. It's the hard part. I just want to see some, some Bobby bombs. That's all. Now one who's definitely not going to give us the Bobby bombs is Bradley Zimmer. Um, he was our next one. Nine home runs, 14 stolen bases, nine walk rate, 35% strikeout rate, which is even worse. 75 WRC plus. So he also would not, um, zips is not, big on him i think matt also wrote this one as well it it basically came down to a bunch of ifs can go right if simmer um is going to be good like if he gets the playing time if he can find the strike zone if he can stay healthy there's just so many different variables that have to go right for bradley zimmer to to outperform both this projection and just be on the roster for a significant amount of time because they have so many outfielders who are like this i mean i I would assume oscar mercado gets center field unless god forbid billy hamilton is a starting center fielder um but i mean if unless oscar mercado struggles i don't really see a place for bradley zimmer for a long time maybe he's like a fourth outfielder but i mean right field i would hope it's going to be like luplo and daniel johnson left field i mean 
like Naylor, I guess. I don't know. But I, I just don't see a place for Bradley Zimmer out there, which kind of sucks because we've talked about this a lot. He's just a fun, speedy-looking guy. Um, if, if he could hit, I believe he has the power somewhere. He's like Drew Stubbs with everything exaggerated to a million points. He strikes out way too much. He can hit an occasional home run, but um, he just hasn't lived up to the hype so far. I had a thing happen today where I was going through this and I was kind of reading Bradley Zimmer's uh, stuff, and I was like, and I just had that thing happen to me again where I thought to myself, well, he had a whole year off doing nothing. Surely his entire body has healed up to 100% as though this were some sort of video game. And he is in perfect condition now and will set the world on fire. Now that he's fully in his athletic prime at 28 years old, oh, now is when we unlock all those. Unlike every other time when we're like, now is, yeah. So I had that conversation with myself in my head today. And it's obviously, it's a a, uh, a tradition at this point where you just talk yourself into this dumb bullshit and Will it happen? I don't know. Maybe. It'd be cool if it did. I'd be very happy if he if he was good, but we'll see. Um, I'm excited to see him in spring. Yeah. Yeah. The the health if is I think the easiest one for him because his it's not like a soft tissue issue where he's his limbs keep ripping off, but he just keeps running into walls and diving and he's just so reckless out there. And uh, if he can if he can just slow down a tiny bit, maybe just a, just a little bit and actually hit the ball, I think he'd get there. But overall, no, I don't think he's gonna get even even the point six war that zips puts him at. Um, again, same one, 36 set over, so 64 under. So most people seem to agree with, or with me anyway. I don't know if you did. Are you taking the under or over on him here? Wait, I'll take the under on that one just because I just look at the playing time, quite honestly. And I don't know, 212, 307, 365 seems so easy to get better than, but. But also he, not. <laughs> you know, at the same time, like that's literally what he did in 2017 when he had 120. That, that's the thing. He played 101 games in 2017 with basically that batting line. And with a 1.6 above replacement, uh, wins above replacement guy because he just plays defense like a goddamn god. So if he gets the playing time, I think he blows past any kind of uh, war uh, projection. Um, our next one, Shane Bieber. We're back to pitchers now. Um, Zips really likes him. Uh, 197 innings pitched, uh, over 10 strikeouts per nine, under two walks per nine. A little more home runs last year, 3.51 ERA, 5.4 war. Um, this one, I think I took the over on, I don't think it'd be massive, but I do think he'll get over this, even though it's, it's a really high projection. Like Matt actually asked Dan Zimborski to check on it. And he's one of, um, the highest starting pitchers projection since 2014. He was, um, it was like one of the top six this year. He's only ahead of Lucas Giolito or he only trails Lucas Giolito and Garrett Cole, which first of all, why the hell does Lucas Giolito have the highest projection projection? (laughs) I think that's what the, I look, I like Lucas Giolito. Because he murders Cleveland. He's absolutely unhittable when he faces specifically Cleveland. Yeah. But outside of those two times, I mean, he's fine. But he, I don't know. Other other teams know how to either hit a changeup or, or to not swing at a changeup. But uh, to your point about uh, Bieber, yeah, I think over all this, I think he'll strike out more than 10.47 per nine. I think he'll strike, he'll walk less than 1.64 per nine. I think he'll give up less home runs than that. He'll, his babble will be lower and, and so on and so forth. And he'll be worth... I don't know. Call it seven wins. What does a seven-win pitching season look like? I mean, that's another Cy Young. He's got pretty easily there. But so it'd be Garrett Cole in 2019, 13.82 K per nine, two walks, uh, 250 ERA, 264 fielding independent pitching, 20 and five. Over that actually sounds like right games. along what I kind of thought he'd get. So yeah, maybe I'm up there too with seven. But um, I do think the walks is, is about right. 1.64. I mean, I don't. That's actually. Zips is as conservative as it is. It actually, brought down his walks from last year. That is a little bizarre, um, actually. It seems surprisingly low, but yeah, it, it doesn't have him giving up more home runs than last year, which I think does make sense because he gave up barely any, but was also in however many starts. Maybe the dead and ball is one that helps him. Um, I think the biggest thing from last year, as, as far as what could change for Zips, is his strand rate um, left on base percentage. Last year was ninety one point nine, which is not at all sustainable. Um, Zips has it back down to seventy four point two. Which even then, like if he's not walking as many as last year, which I don't think he will, if he's not giving up as much hard contact, or there's more home runs that are just going for fly balls, maybe they're outs, and there's less people on the bases, maybe he doesn't have to strand as many as he did last year. But um, so yeah, I, I don't think he'll have like another 1.82 ERA, something crazy like that. But I think the difference between the left on base what he had last year and what's a realistic one is like an ERA around 240, 250 somewhere in there. Which, which yeah, I wasn't really looking at the WAR trying to figure that out. But if if that's what Garrett Cole was. Maybe he doesn't have that many strikeouts. I, I think I do believe in more than what Zips has him at ten point four seven, but maybe not twenty nineteen Garrett Cole, but somewhere in there. Like I could see him getting up to like six and a half seven WAR just because, like again, we've talked about it before. He does these things that Zips probably can't 
account for yet. Like all this tunneling and spinning yeah. direction, all this stuff that he's doing that is not just results based, but we as human beings with human eyes and human Hawkeye tracking can see that he's doing all these things. And we know that he can pitch better than probably what a normal person would, um, which is, I mean, this is projecting based on the last several years of trends. Like you can buck those trends because he does all these advanced things so well. I would say the only thing I, I, I kind of almost get the walk thing only because um, he's been throwing his fastball uh, less every single year because his breaking stuff is absolutely absurd. So it just stands to reason he'll walk less, walk more people if he's not throwing stuff in the zone as much. But even if it sees it, so that makes sense to me almost just in terms of because of that one thing. Like he's only threw a fastball what, 37% of the time in the past year. Yeah, well, they're, they're even drooping in the, the walk rates down from last year even. Last year it was up more. It was like two something, I think. And then Zips is bringing it down closer to like his his minor league numbers, which I think is interesting because usually Zips will, they'll just ride the closer to the bad one just to be conservative about the trends. But like it, it does, it knows that Shane Bieber, he's a control freak in the zone there. But I mean, he walked 7% last year after going up from 4.7. Uh, Zips doesn't do projections on percentages. I'm sure we could do the math if we wanted to, but Steamer had him at 6%, which I'd be fine with. And although Steamer had him at 30, with a with a 30% strikeout rate too. So I think, I think it'll be better than that. He's just too goddamn good for that. Uh, just uh, so Max Scherzer was at six and a half war in 2019. Uh, you know, but that was only in 172 innings. So I do think Shane Bieber will get 200. I, I know where we say like they had the bad year last year. It was short. People aren't going to do it, but somebody's going to do it. I think there's going to always going to be a few, and I think Shane Bieber could easily Definitely, yeah. be one of them that does. Yeah, I don't, I don't think like everybody's going to get the 200 that normally would, but with the down year, um, I mean, I think it, Bieber's fine. Bieber's at 5.6 war uh, in 2019. And that was when he was merely very, very, very good. He hadn't quite. Right. Because remember, like he, he made this cutter slurve thing like during the break for the pandemic last year. He's, he yeah. just added a new pitch, which. Is yeah. Insane. So he's he's definitely on track to make. Like you look at these, the, the top war uh, by pitcher, pitching leaders in 2019. And this is just, like, just one little data point. It doesn't tell the whole story, but they they're all have sub 90 uh, exit velocities against them. Except for Shane Bieber, which was at 90.6. And he was eighth and went to replacement. So that number will go down because he throws less fastballs, which are the easiest ones to hit, obviously. And he now throws that weird freak pitch. So whatever the hell that thing is, yeah, yeah, he has like two curveballs. He has a um, he has that cutter thing now. He's ridiculous. But um, it was actually split vote on this one. Fifty percent said over. Fifty percent said under. Exactly forty eight votes each. So people are kind of split on that. I think it's just mm-hmm. because the projection is just so high for a pitcher. Like, and I get it. It's a it's a big number, but I also think Shane Bieber can. Demolish I believe that. in it. I believe him too. Jordan Luplo, uh, our next one. He is uh, Mike Trout against lefties and not Mike Trout against everybody else. Uh, Zips has him at, I, I think this is another playing time issue one. They have him at 412 plate appearances, which I mean, I would say I don't think he's going to get that, but also I could see them trying that again just because the last couple of years they've just been desperate to get him to hit right handed pitching because he is just so good against lefties. He was, I think, literally in 2019, he was Mike Trout against left handed pitching. Yeah, and last year, I mean, he played even against both. He's had 49 PAs against righties and 43 against um, lefties. He had a 255 Woba against righties and 370, 337 against lefties. So he wasn't great against either. I mean, 337 isn't terrible, but um, so I mean, I, it just makes sense to split them, platoon them. I think they're going to do that. I don't know why they wouldn't, but if they don't, maybe he gets to this. And if he is a 99 WRC plus player, that might be their best offensive outfielder <laughs> if he plays every day. So I think they're better off splitting him, even if like, like, I don't know if Daniel Johnson doesn't necessarily need a split, need a platoon partner, but he's not going to be as good as Jordan Luplo against lefties anyway. So just do it there if you're going to have Luplo on the roster. But um, I mean, Nolan Jones is going to come up. He'll need a partner eventually. So I think there will be places for Jordan Luplo to play. Probably just not this many plate appearances, um, which I think will also help his overall production. I think he'll slash better than 242, 333, 439 if he's only platooned. But, uh, but yeah, so I took the over on this one just because of that. I think he'll... He'll be split more. I think he'll get fewer plate appearances than what Zips has, but I also think he can get over 1.4 war. Even with like, I don't know, three-fourths of the plate appearances, like half the plate appearances, he can be so good against lefties that they platoon him, and he keeps hitting the way he did. I mean, I was so easily sold on him over like a 19 plate appearance sample size in 2019. I was like, yep, he can hit righties now. So obviously I'm going to take the, <laughs> Superstar. Uh, the, the over <laughs> on this one because I'm an idiot, uh, and I keep on I keep on just get buying whatever the hell he's selling. I don't know what it is about Jordan Lupo, but I'm – I'm in every single time. Even last year, he's walking 13% of the time. I, I don't know. I I want him to be better than he is because I want them all to be better. But <laughs> with all that, like you said, um, I think 
it almost feels like hands were forced last year uh, for some reason to play him the way they did. I don't know why they did it though. I don't know. I, I blame. I don't blame Sandy Alomar, but also I do. Uh, so you know, I mean, just a weird sample size crap from last year. So yeah, I, th- I will take the over on this one as well. I agree with you. I think he'll be close, much closer to what he did in 2019. It's only because if he sees a right-handed p- uh, pitcher more than. Plus, though, you know what's really going to help him is you, you, loogies and rugies and whatnot don't exist anymore, so he can be used in a much more strategic fashion in that manner. If there is a left-handed pitcher that gets brought out to face a lefty, um, he can you know, they can send him out within the next three uh, hitters instead of having to like remove a guy who's who, you know you, you'd rather not remove. Um, so I think that that might help him a little bit as well. But I take the over on this one. He, I think he's better than that and. I'm sure I'll just be convinced during spring training because he'll be facing some double-A pitcher. You'll see one homer off a right dealer. That's it. He's good. There it is, you fools. (laughs) He's been unlocked. Unleashed the Kraken. Yes. (laughs) Our next one, our last one for this week is, uh, of course, Dino Johnson. Very exciting outfielder. Um, The more I watch and learn about him, the more I want him to be good. Like Momentum had a a mini documentary on him. I don't know if you knew this, but in college he actually played. um, He laid down a bunt. And then seed bunts are terrible. They're always terrible. But he tried to like juke the pitcher away, and then he just felt a little pop in his leg. But he kept playing the whole season. Um, and after the college season was done, they're like, why are you playing baseball? You tore your meniscus, ACL, and MCL, and you were playing on it. So like, this guy will play through anything. He's like one of the most determined players, it seems like, from the outside. Um, I think he also broke his handmate bone at one point, and he came back from that and recovered. But Zips, again, gives him a lot of playing time. 487 played appearances, 14 home runs, 11 stolen bases. Um, but a 74 WRC plus and a negative 0.2 war overall. So this is the guy like Zips is projecting them to just ride him and hope something happens, which as opposed to like Bradley Zimmer or Bobby Bradley or whatever, I'm, I would be okay with this. If, if we're just admitting this is a retooling year, if there's somebody else hitting the ball better, um, I would be fine if this was Daniel Johnson's line. I know it's not good, but I would be more excited to watch him than watch Billy Hamilton or Ben Gamble in yes. Redfield. Um, so I mean, this is what he is. I, I'm fine with it. I don't remember what I took on him. It, well, I didn't do any of them. Uh, Chris Davies said over, match lifting said under. This is one I didn't even sign up for because I think it's just about right. This is the, the push for me. Maybe over because I want to be optimistic and say he can at least get to a flat zero player and not cost his team point two wins. But um, I don't know. I think there's a chance maybe he could just overcome everything and just outplay all his projections and expectations. But I think there's also a chance that he is just this guy who can't really hit. He's got a monster arm in right field. Um, which maybe as a result, his defense is better than Zips thinks because he can throw everybody out. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's it'll be interesting for him anyway. I, I don't think a like a hard over on this one. I don't know. It seems like, I mean Zips is very much the most negative on him. Of I'm just checking the baseball perspectives one as well. Um, I mean that, actually this one's a little bit even more negative than anyone else. Um, fuck this. And this one is according to the New York Times the Uber forecast of every player's <laughs> performance. Shit. Uh, I will take the over on this one pretty firmly. I'm. I'm with you. I'm very excited to see him play. I I I want him to be a 140 game plus kind of guy. And I mean, he's always kind of hit. You'll you'll get his minors numbers, and like they're not great. But the last couple of years, um, since he's come to the uh, Cleveland system, uh, he's been a pretty good impact bat in the minors. He just this one. I think Johnson's another guy who goes back to what I was saying earlier was guys who just don't get playing time. Um, and you wish they would, but if they try to do it with everyone again, they lose 140 games. I think he's better than a 74 WRC plus, and I think, like you said, I think he's better defensively than that. I think he can walk better than six and a half percent of the time. He's just got such a nice swing, man. It's it's that's the thing I want to see more is his swing as a lefty is really nice. Well, and then that's the thing, you know. It's like I mean, obviously aesthetics is wonderful, but at the same time, that shit plays eventually, and he's still young, isn't he? He's only like 20. Where it might, we're 25, so not super young, but still. Yeah, it just he seems like he could. Literally, the thing it says in the baseball perspectives annual is, is what we are saying. It's disappointing that this toolsy off injured Johnson has only provided 13 plate appearances to provide a jolt last year. Because, like I just said, their outfield is garbage. And if this guy, who is probably the most purely athletic outfielder they have, even more so than uh, Bradley Zimmer, uh, I don't know why. I, I don't know why he can't find playing time. It, it's it's mad to me, honestly. Like, I think, and honestly, a batting line, like, I don't know, like, what he put together with the Nats in Double A in 2018 is something I would be unsurprised to see him hit 267 with a 320 on base and, like, a 425 slugging percentage. I think he could do that. Honestly, I think he could. I, th- I think he can turn a lot of infield hits into singles or in- infield uh, outs into singles, and I think he can, you know, run like a motherfucker and hit a couple dingers and be a, 
I think I think Daniel Jones is going to be everything that we at the plate that we think Oscar Mercado was supposed to be. Even though Oscar Mercado has been a fat disappointment, but seems seems to keep on getting playing time. So yeah, he's slowly becoming like the version of a veteran of that. I'm still fine with giving Oscar Mercado playing time, but he, he's approaching that. I think as, as just get him out of there. But seventy eight percent agreed with us on Daniel Johnson. They gave him the over. Twenty two percent said under. I think that's a lot of. It's a very optimistic number for over. I think everybody wants Daniel Johnson to be good. Nobody. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's like we. Yeah. You know what it is partially, partially too. I think he is. I'm not going to call him like a flavor of the month, but we keep on hunting as fans for a, a good outfielder, and he's oh, just of course, the, yeah. He's just he's just the current one. We're like maybe this is the one, and we're like maybe it is this one. Yes, we were ex- exactly the same way with Mercado because he had that incredible year uh, in AAA, and we're like yes, we did it. We found an outfielder. We found a a guy who hits for decent power, walks all the time, and hits for average, and plays Gold Glove center field. None of this turned out to be true. Cool. Let's do it, baby. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Uh, but yeah, so last week, uh, Bakota, I mean, Fangraphs did it too, but Bakota is the big one, I think, for releasing their standing projections. Um, Baseball Perspective just released it. We were going to do it last week, but both you and I, our, our annuals didn't come until the weekend, so we got those now. But Bakota projects Cleveland to finish 84.8 wins, finish second in the AL, 23% chance to win the division, which again, I think in itself is pretty surprising because, like, first of all, the way they do it is they simulate the season a thousand times. So what the 84.8 means is that on average, that's how many wins Cleveland got in their simulations. Um, they also give you this nice, what, they, what what I call anyway, a mound graph, which shows basically like the chart of where everything landed in the simulation. So like Cleveland's, it's a little hill of where all their wins and losses come. So you see some at the end, some at the at the start of their little range of wins. Cleveland's is very concentrated in the back, but they have a higher range like on the end. So they don't have like a bunch of 90 win projections, but they had like everywhere from 85 to 90 something wins in there so they have a lot more higher ones to bring up their average but on average they're more likely to be probably below the white Sox. i would think Um, the white Sox are more concentrated towards the higher end because they are just a more volatile younger team and they have lucas giolito who's apparently going to be a Cy young um but it was the standings projections are interesting just because of i think that was a shock to most everybody especially white Sox fans they were of course angry at baseball prospectus but um bp themselves they'll even tell you like this is not an infallible system it's not meant to be anybody who says it is and like takes this as gospel is just don't listen to them it's just um it's more than just guessing but it's it's just numbers running a spreadsheet random things happen and of course there always are like they do project like the white Sox to win 90 something games the indians to win only 70 something it's just this is the range they come up with and like mike petriello jokingly pointed out there's a a totally chaotic scenario where the Dodgers could finish last and the Rockies finish first and all West, which is very amusing. But, uh, but yeah, like anything can happen. This kind of just shows you it's a very broad range of what can happen. I think it's neat that the Indians could technically maybe come in second, maybe come in first. They're not the absolute worst. They're only a couple ahead of the Royals too, um, which is kind of concerning considering they also just got Andrew Benintendi, which he might be something, but um, as far as the Procota annual itself, I don't know if you've got a chance to dig through that now, but oh yes. what are your thoughts so far on that? <laughs> I assume you have some thoughts on the annual. Thick Big and thick rich, <laughs> full of knowledge and wisdom. I First of all, I forgot that Billy Hampton was on the Cubs last year, so that was my first takeaway. Um, I mean, what can you say about it? It's, it's, it's fun to learn about what's going on in the team you like, and you forget about people. Like You forget about Yu Chang sometimes. I think this past year was hard to remember some of these people only because it's like you just never saw them because they were the alternate site the entire year. But Yeah, and we mentioned before the show too that the one for Cleveland is kind of a letdown, but I think it's mostly just because we already knew the story. It's it's the story of like Zach Plesak and um, – What's his name? Clevenger. Mike Clevenger, the other guy, who were um, – they went out in the middle of a pandemic in the hotel and they, they – I mean, Cor- Carlos Carrasco was on their team who just recovered from cancer. So, I mean, it's, it's a good story, but we already knew it and it's – I never think those are really for the people that follow the fans super close. I like reading the other teams' ones. I don't know. A couple years. Um, like, every now and then you get a really good one um, just because it's a fun read. Like the, the Royals one, I think, was my favorite one so far. I think it was the Royals. Uh, the, uh, the Detroit Tar- Tigers one's really good. Craig Kogatar wrote that one. 
Uh, yes, the, uh, the the Kansas City, Kansas City Royals one is written from the point of view of some sort of... Oh, uh, isn't that Justin Clue wrote that one? Yeah, yeah, some sort of Can- Casey Huckster uh, trying to sell, <laughs> you know, sell some to people. And then another good one was um, uh, oh, Grant Brisby wrote the one for the Arizona Diamondbacks <laughs> about you're, you're on the... You, you imagine you're on a game show called Hiccup or The New Normal because the Diamondbacks didn't make any goddamn sense last year because they were supposed to be good, but... They vacillate so much between. I didn't realize they went from having like the second worst farm system in 2018 to literally the second best now. Like, how do they get so? I don't know. How do they find all these players? I don't know. I guess they just they vacillate so heavily. I mean, what a fun team to root like, for. Year to year, they are just lose 90, win 90, year. lose 100, win 100. <laughs> well, who are you? Stop! I can't like this team anymore. <laughs> Remember they had Zach Greinke at one point. That's that's wild to me. Yeah, they have not even Madison fun. Bumgarner. Like, what the? Fuck? Yeah. How? When? What? Uh, I I enjoyed it greatly reading through this though. Um, I I I I've mentioned this several times on the podcast. I don't pay enough attention to prospects because I'm a big idiot. Uh, I'm harping on myself about being a big idiot a lot tonight. I'm not a big idiot, folks. I have a very high level of self esteem. Uh, but I it's fun um, reading other people's opinions of players like James Karinchak. The way they're able to really encapsulate his absolute insane energy into just a few sentences. Also, um, Cal Quantrill. You know what I mean? He really is a uh, very, very much a contrarian in the modern game because he throws so much more sink, so many more sinkers than anyone else. I mean, no one throws sinkers anymore because we all know that they just turn into home runs too easily. So maybe it's one of those things where you throw more sinkers and maybe people aren't looking you zig for and it. They zag. And so, so yeah, here we are. I'm, I'm zigging over here, you idiots, you big dummies. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I did like it. And I think my it, it's not a reflection on BP itself or anything. But my biggest takeaway from this is I never want to read about this year again. Like I get they had to do it; they had to tie in the pandemic to everything. But like Bro, I'm so in five s- years, I never want to see any of this shit again. <laughs> Can I just be honest with you for a second? I'm so sick of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just get real here? It's not fun, man. <laughs> like I can't imagine. There's old BPs I still read through. When I do that in like ten years and I forget which year the pandemic was, I'm gonna get the 2020 and just close it and not read it again oh you know my my favorite essays in here have been like there's one you haven't the read the ones yet. that ignore it all together <laughs> yeah the ones that are just fun reads like the, the, uh, there's this one here that um mark norvin wrote about like the the, the the pending labor clash that's coming like i i want to read that once and then never again because i follow him on twitter so i i know what he's going to say already and then also uh i'm just gonna read that and go this is gonna suck in about a year because i'm not gonna baseball again yeah, I mean, it'd be irresponsible for him not to cover these things. Like, if they had to do it, but also at the same time, like, I just don't want to read about it anymore. I just like, feel it, like it's important, I think, to even have it in there for history, but I just don't want to read it. You know, and like, and, and to your point about the, again, it was a well-written article, or essay, rather, the one about Cleveland, um, but it's just, there's so many other things that happened with this team this year, and so many other things you can write about. I mean, it, no less than the fact that I mean, obviously, when they wrote it, it hadn't happened yet. Like, had they traded Lindor by the time this had published? I guess they had, huh? Had they? Is he listed in here as one of their players? No, because Andre Jimenez is on Cleveland, so they okay, yeah. So probably like, not time to write the essay, though. It might have been right. just some time to. Yeah, them, uh, I mean, I, I guess like, just because, like, I think the overarching story when it comes to Cleveland, I mean, just, Shane Bieber. <laughs> like, well, well, in twenty twenty and in general, is is the the, the the pitching, but also the. The artificially forced hand to 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 play poor, I guess, and the the willingness to trade away what was a gaping window for uh, narrow contention and pseudo exciting September's, I guess. Because um, then you look at these things, like you just look at their because like they have the charts here for like the the, the payrolls and whatnot. And it's funny to look at other teams in in the AL Central's payrolls because like the. the <laughs> It has division payroll average and then the league payroll average. I'm like, you guys are just dealing with, with an artificially sunk cost here because of Cleveland's ability to completely tank its own payroll. Um, but I don't know. I just – and again, I get it. And like this was probably a story um, with the, the police act uh, cleverness thing. But I just feel like that there's a much – and they touch, and she does touch on this some. Like, like the second half is a bit about um, – Dolan buying a team for three hundred twenty-three million ninety-nine. It's now worth one point one five billion. Uh, I mean, 
I mean, the good part, Mary, this is all still be a story next year, so they can include it then because it's still going to be going on. <laughs> Even if they're a decent team this year, it's still going to be hanging over them. If they had like a fifty million dollar budget, so yeah, dude, so good news. It's, yeah, they they do it next year. As of this was publishing, it they have a thirty five million dollar payroll. Like <laughs> that is it's less... going to go up when they do the minor league. But uh, on the good side, it's fun to look through this and just see all the top prospects that, that Cleveland has in particular. I also like they have George Valera number one. It's nice to see. And most are either. Um, Nolan Jones or Tristan McKenzie, but George Valera is a super exciting outfielder that they have. No, exactly. I mean, you hit, no comps for him yet, just because of lack of playing time. But he's young too, so it's like one of those things. I, and this is one of the reasons I hate prospects is when you get a new prospect, he's immediately your number one prospect. Like, especially if you're a shitty team and you draft, you like you, you say you say you drafted like fifth overall last year, but you were even worse. So you drafted like second overall by virtue of that thing alone. That, that new person is not <coughs> excuse me, not your number one prospect. So it, that's why it always kind of baffles me. Now, I don't know if I, I don't know about you. One of my favorite things is just looking at the comps. Like that's one of the things I'll I'll quickly flip through just look at all of them. Now on Cleveland, one of my favorites is uh, Jake Bowers. His one comp is Mike Carp. I don't know if you know him. Long forgotten first baseman. Yeah, Fishman, sure. Yeah. I think he played in the Yankees at one point. Terrible player. It didn't last long. Carlos Delgado was another one. So <laughs> um, I'll take. He it. could be anything. He could be Mike Carp or Carlos. That's that's basically saying we have no idea. Is is essentially what it is because Carlos Delgado was. As far as I know, a very good hitter in the '90s, and then Mike Carp was very much not one in the 2010s. And so. I got it's also good in the 2000s, dude. For Emil Reyes is Willie yeah. Mopena and Jay right. Buhner. You're like, <laughs> yeah, you're, that was yes. my other one. <laughs> I don't even care. I, they both kick ass. Like Willie Mopena yeah, was the man. I mean, he was so great, was Jay but, Oh yeah, Joe Jay Buhner was unabashedly the man. So uh, meanwhile, Matt Rosario is over here with a Michael Young comp, which he was a very professional hitter. So you know what? I'll take it because what what do you want more than professional hitters and in major league baseball you know so and then the one that's just it's, it's just an insult they were directly insulting us is that mike freeman his comp is michael martinez which I've this seen. isn't this is rude and i'm driving to the offices of baseball prospectus in i don't have an office do they shit um i'm driving there now and i'm doing something about this dear mr prospectus your opinions are wrong and be baseball prospectus you are rude uh, Luis Severino, Danny Salazar, and Joe Musgrove. Who, who am I describing? Shane Bieber. Yeah. I know that one already. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Jake Barrett, Trevor Gott, and Dan Jennings. Who am I describing? Oh, God. I have no idea for that one. <laughs> that's Cam Hill. Cam to scam. Uh, all yeah, right. Trevor Williams, Kevin Gossman, and Yanni Chirinos. Is that please, Zach? That's uh, Cal Quantrill. All right. One more. Oh, damn. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, Tyler Skaggs, and Yenry Mejia. I know that one's Tristan McKenzie. You can do another one. Damn, Yenry Mejia. I haven't heard that name in forever. Wow. Noah Syndergaard, though. That's a good comp for him. He's a stupid one. They just, this is just because he's old. Rich Hill is an Oliver Perez <laughs> comp. Come on now. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense. It does. I, I, forever. you got to have some similarities if we can pitch that long. It's cute that Cody Allen is a James Karinchak comp. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, it's not on here, but on Baseball Savant, um, Cal Quantrill and Zach Plezak are listed as similar, which I thought was kind of interesting. You could say Cleveland has a type when it comes to pitchers. Uh, Dylan Covey, Alec Mills, and Austin Volk. No clue. Why, that's, of course, our favorite pitcher who is going to have at least 20 starts this year. That's right. Adam Plutko. <laughs> He's going to have 20 starts, isn't he? Um, now, as far as what we're going to be looking at coming up the next week, I think Cleveland literally just signed, signed another minor league free agent while we were talking yes. about now, the biggest ones the last couple of weeks, obviously the one that's official now is Billy Hamilton. Um, he's 30 year old, 30 years old, drafted by the Reds in 2009. He passes physical on Monday. So he's officially um, signed to a minor league deal with a non roster invite. If he does, does go to the majors, it'll be 1 million. If he makes the major league rosters plus up to almost another million in incentives, um, I mean, you you know what you've gotten him so far. Like you mentioned, it's hard to figure out who he played for. In the last three years alone, he's played for the Reds, Royals, Braves, Mets, and Cubs. So he's been all over. It's clear nobody has no place for him. I mean, like he could be, I think he's like an ideal 26th man just because he's so fast. He could be yeah. your pinch runner if you need him. He could be your extra man on base. He could be a, an outfielder late. Um, the problem I have is, is if Cleveland used him as their 26th man, I have no faith that he would stick as the 26th man. I think he'd be... We've seen the the recent history of playing these vets way too much, um, way too often, considering what they do. I mean, Delano to Shields, we just watched play how many games in a shortened season. Um, so if he does make the roster, which 
in itself is a little terrifying. I'm worried about him getting too much playing time. But if if he did, and if we could trust Tito to just use him responsibly and use him as a pinch runner or um, extra guy in the outfield, I would be, I guess, okay with him as like a fifth outfielder if you need some kind of veteran um, position player if you're that desperate for it. But just a general man, there, I don't, just just no place for him. He's he's, he's fast. He has a 305 career stolen bases, which is nice. But his career slash is 241, 296, 325. This is a guy that is is not. Daniel Johnson, who has been playing time, he's obviously had a ton of playing time with the Reds, um, and it just hasn't clicked anywhere. But now he's here in Cleveland for at least spring training. I mean, players like this are fun because he is like he does so many other things so incredibly well. I mean, going back to the last time he had like true playing time, he's a little older now. Obviously, he was only twenty eight back in twenty nineteen, um, but it was in ninety seventh percentile in sprint speed, ninety third percentile in outs above average. Outfielder jump is really good. I mean, he's he's a good he, defender. He's, he's fast. He's an yeah. incredible yeah. defender and a wonderful base runner. And it just sucks that he can't hit. But that's I I this is the kind of guy that I like you said. I hope he makes it as the pinch runner guy off the bench, like that sort of a thing. But if he's taking more than like what was that guy's name? Uh, Terrence. If, if if he has more batting, like Terrence Gore. Yeah, if he doesn't have if, if he doesn't have a batting line in terms of numbers of bats like Terrence Gore, then they're doing something wrong because he should be not. Like I love that article that was in was it in Fangraphs uh, where uh, I can't remember the writer. Oh yeah, Travis Sawchick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah Sawchick was like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Just put, put, whoever you whoever gets on base first, you just put him in, and like that didn't make it, you you understand why that wouldn't work two or three years ago, but now they have an extra guy. Right, like they have an extra player, so you're not losing that bat quite as often. So it would make more sense. Um, where you just, uh, for those who did not read the article, um, whenever you uh, saw Chick's idea was whoever the, gets on first gets on base first with the Reds, immediately they swap him out for Billy Hamilton because uh, when he was on base, he scored something like forty nine percent of the time. And then as soon as you know that, that comes around, you take him out and, and go on with your day. So, and I think that maybe you add some caveats to that, like gets on base with less than two outs so that he can steal bases and things of that nature. I, I, I like the idea of this because he does two of the three things in baseball, like at an elite level or did the last time he got any real playing time. I mean, it, it's, you know, love to see if he's still quite as fast. And um, I you figure he hasn't really lost a lot as far as knowing how to play outfield defense, even if he's not quite as fast as he used to be, but. I like designing, and I, I kind of hope he sticks. But like you said, there's that itch in the back of your brain where you're like, he's going to get 400 plate appearances. His name, you're like, wow, how did this happen? What's going <laughs> on here? No. Starting center fielder. It's at least once, yeah. Um, the other one they signed was Ben Gamble, who's kind of sort of the opposite of Billy Hamilton, although not as elite in the other tools. But he can sort of hit. He's had a couple okay offensive seasons. Um, he's 28, so he's a little younger. He played with the Mariners the last two years. Um, or no, he played at the Mariners initially with the Brewers the last two years. Um, he, he can walk quite a bit, walked in the double digits pretty consistently. He's he's kind of the contact walk guy the Indians seem to like. Um, he's not a great defender. He's more of just kind of a – he would be your more standard fourth outfielder, I think. You use him when a guy needs a day off, not somebody you just bring to pinch pinch run or whatever. But um, So I think Gamble's another one potential who could be the extra veteran outfielder if you really need it, if you can't fit. Um, they're going to have like five already, so I don't know why they need another. But if they do <laughs> – I, I would almost just rather have Gamble over Hamilton just because he can be that guy who you put in the defense. He doesn't play defense as well. He doesn't run as well, but he can sort of hit. And that's what you need, I think, on a random basis. Like, not as because the value of hitting is going to come up more on a once every couple weeks than being able to run fast, I think. So, um, but that's what they got. The other thing about Ben Gamble, Mayor, I don't know if you knew, this guy has a lot of fans who have followed him over from Milwaukee. The Let's Go Tribe um, notifications on Twitter, it has been nothing but like, brewers fans and the ben gamble fan club um like retweeting our articles or every time we mention ben gamble i'm just going to tweet out the words ben gamble and see what happens soon um because those people are fanatic i didn't know he had such a big following he's, he's a fun guy like he's a really good clubhouse guy as far as if they need that again like he's i think he's like another jason kipnis essentially where he's just this fun weirdo who just does what he wants he he chugs red bulls before games he just shotguns them which i think is awesome um so he's he's between these two if either of them stick i think i'd rather have gamble just because of what he brings as at least a only below average bat as opposed to a terrible bat. And he's also just, I think he'd be a fun clubhouse guy that they kind of need without Lindor there anymore, without Jason Kipnis, without all these guys gone. If he, if they need some kind of clubhouse guy, I feel like Gamble can be that more than Hamilton. I have, I have no problem with Ben Gamble now. I mean, like you said, he's kind of, he's just kind of your, your, uh, what's a, what's a nice and friendly way to put this. He's kind of just your veteran presence. 
Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. He's a kind of a Mike Freeman type in a way. I think he's a better player than Mike Freeman. Yeah, I was going like, to say, Ben Gamble can actually play. Right, Mike exactly. Yeah, he, like, and I don't know. I mean, there's there's definitely probably still some something left in the bat. Like he's, uh, if you look at his kind of um, percentile rankings, his expected numbers were better than they actually were. And 2020 was just a hard number for you know getting things to shake out over a long period of time simply because they didn't have a long period of time. So maybe he'll be good. I don't know. I mean, this, this is the kind of signing, I think, where it's like, even more so, and much, much more so, I think, than the than the Hamilton one, where it's kind of a guy who maybe with an adjustment or two could be not a star, but like a competent. His ceiling is good starter, and like he, this, the kind, this could be the kind of thing where you're like, holy shit, they got him! How'd they pull that one off, man? Uh, because yeah, I mean, just... like 2018, Ben Gamble when he was only striking out 20 percent of the time, that's that's an above average bat. I mean, he can't he can't play defense but if they got him for nothing and he played like that that's pretty okay i think yeah exactly no i mean just someone who yeah like you said just make, makes a positive impact on the, at the plate and doesn't um ruin things in the outfield and i realized that we're really lowering our bar on that one but whatever you know <laughs> i feel like i should also mention i completely forgot eddie rosario i mentioned earlier that we have yeah, some I, left fielder whoever's out there i thought i thought you had something behind that but i didn't want to mention <laughs> no it, i completely but... <laughs> forgot about it and then i'm thinking about like who else is there veteran outfielder we got eddie rosario what do we need these guys for screw both of these guys like game okay i guess but yeah what am i thinking they have eddie rosario in left and then whoever in right like if man i hope billy hillman does not make the team ben gamble okay fine but i don't want billy hamilton if they're gonna use him too much but yeah they got eddie rosario they have an outfielder now <laughs> they have they can just figure out whatever with the other two so i mean honestly it's it's um if i if I had to make a choice between those two i would take uh, billy hamilton because and this is something that i've made i've probably said the podcast i've probably written about it several times over the last several years uh give me raw physical gifts over guy who makes you know small impacts here and there because i just i just want that to overwhelm at times i suppose so I would take Billy Hamilton if he makes less than 50 plate appearances, basically. I mean, I, I take neither is what my real answer is, but if I have to take one or the other. Um, you got to pick one, of, Matt. You got to pick one or the other. You can't pick neither. God, make you, me, Merritt. You fence-sitting <laughs> son of a gun. I'm tired of this. No, I said Gamble's mine if I had to pick That's one. That's fair. It's, okay. it's his popularity is up 12% on Baseball Savant today. That's me clicking on his profile, probably. <laughs> Well, this kind of segues nice into what I did for a poll question. Um, I just went full apocalyptic masochist on it. Um, I said, which Cleveland outfielder will, not should, will finish 2021 with the most major league plate appearances? Bradley Zimmer, Daniel Johnson, or our two signees, Ben Gamble or Billy Hamilton? 41.2% um, said Daniel Johnson. Next was Bradley Zimmer with 29%. And then Gamble with 18, Hamilton with 11.3. This is basically all the fringy guys, I think. I think Oscar Mercado, you can pretty much say he's going to get the center field ones, the majority Right field, I guess maybe there's an argument for Daniel Johnson. He almost doesn't fit on this list, but also he might not. Like, I think it makes sense that any of these guys could be up for the right field position, which is why I included them all. Um, most of the comments are that people voting for Daniel Johnson are they're they're saying it's an optimistic vote. Yeah. Um, yeah at Tribe Fan and MD said casting a wish vote here. Um, at Rally Tom Warren said the answer should be Johnson, maybe Zimmer. I think it will be Hamilton, which I mean we just kind of talked about. It's kind of what happens around here. Um, yes, <laughs> which you just kind of accepted. Um, not exactly love. You know, there was. Oh, I on. really, I really love the Cleveland fan base because we're all just like, we don't know what the hell's going to happen here. <laughs> <laughs> they get it. I mean, nobody's lying to themselves here. They've yeah. seen. They know what happens. <laughs> At sliding scrapes, he said, "I note that the question states will not should, and I cast my vote for Hamilton only because Bowers wasn't an option." Which, I will fair. say that I think I'm Bowers is an option. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't put. Uh, I, I would have put uh, Bowers in this over a gamble. I think he would have run away with it because I think he's going to get 300 plate appearances. So yeah, I mean, I, I love the responses to this. It's just generally it's just adorable because we're all just like, "This sucks, doesn't it, guys?" Yeah, this blows. We all hate this. But also nobody's angry. It's just resignation and like, I don't get it. (laughs) Nobody's like mad about it. We we just. I I don't, I don't even know if it's, I've never really encountered a, a, a level of nihilism when it comes to being a Cleveland fan, as opposed to being like maybe a New York Mets fan or like a Pirates fan. Uh, They do exist. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of feel like being a Cleveland fan is, is more akin to being like a, I, I like to think, at least, that, that we as fans are more 
I hesitate to say upbeat, but you know, there's some level of positivity, and we, we we get the joke. I guess would be a way I'd put That's it. That's a good so, way to put it. We get yeah. the joke. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't say positive. I would say we get the joke of what's. Yeah, we're all, we're all, we're all just kind of in on it. We're like, you know, whatever, man. We all we all know it's gonna be Billy Ham, and it's it's funny that way, isn't it? <laughs> like yeah. these guys, life hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> these guys, they're all just fucking with us. <laughs> they're playing with us so good. Um, it, it only changes around the time of a trade, like when when Frisco and Little Window was traded. That was pure anger yeah fair, well that's fair because that we we liked him and he was fun to watch yeah. and he made the team better also at the end of the day we also want the team to be yeah. good like we yeah. like the team We're to be good but also <laughs> We're a weird fan base yeah. but also it's like this is so stupid <laughs> what a silly thing this is so um yeah, no, I, I mean I, it also helps that they have been a winning team for like a decade that also helps the old optimism like even if you're mad at the team on the surface deep down you kind of know like hey they won quite a bit like it hasn't know, resulted in the playoff wins but they're also not the pirates I think it was, it must have been Darren Woman who put another one of his useless uh, <laughs> animations on. Useless but delightful. Yeah, but delightful animations. And it was like, it was a bar graph of like all time winning percentage. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, that wasn't Darren. That was somebody else. But was that, that was someone else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it, it struck me just at how high on that list Cleveland is. Even when they, like, if you watch the thing, because it runs it from, you know, 1840, whatever, to now. And like even when they were in their nadir in like the sixties and seventies, and they were just piss. Um, when the only good player they had was that's right, Sam McDowell. Uh, I, they never were. They never were horrible. And like they've always been like a pretty okay team. And like I don't, I don't know if that's a thing to be proud of or not. But like, you know, I mean, it makes it so you don't ever actually fall into that pit of misery in a way. Like, yeah. only, I mean, they, they also had two. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to, yeah, they have the two World Series and like, and, and even the last few years, you know, they went to a World Series, they went to one in 20, or they went to, yeah, they, they basically lost what amounted to the championship series in 2007. And, uh, yeah, no, I just, it's, they're a yeah, good team they and they always have been and they're well run. So it's hard to really get overly negative about them. You can just be dis, you're not mad. You're just disappointed. You know, it's, it's I, <laughs> I, th- I think that's, that's what it is. And, and so that, then that lends itself to a kind of a, Oh, I've been mad, Barrett. I came here tonight. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Well, that, that was more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they also just had like these two lengthy. That was like, You had the, yeah. the early 1900s Indians, and then you have the now from like, that's even longer. I would like the early 90s, mid 90s to now. They've haven't had long stretches of just being abysmal, which I think helps them. Even though they've had the the multiple decades in the middle of the century, they are bad enough to have a baseball movie made about them where everybody kind of agreed they were shit, which. I wonder if Major League didn't happen if people's perception of the team wouldn't be the way right? it is. Right? That's actually because, like, you, you look at, like, yes, they were bad in the 80s, but, like, they weren't, like, horrendous. I think they, like, they actually, they lost 101 games in 87. That movie came out in, like, 89 or something like that. Um, but then they did lose another 105 in 91. So they did stink. Like, we're not going to sit here and say they were bad. They were definitely, like, that was probably their worst stretch just looking at the, the games real quick. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, I mean, like 60s, 70s, 80s were all pretty bad, but they weren't like like they terrible. lost 100 games in 1914, and then didn't lose 100 games again until 1985, and then they did again in 87, and again in 91, and then they just always been good. Even that that stretch kind of right after they they lost the ALCS, like they lost 97 in 2009, but then they've been good ever since, pretty much. They lost 94 and 20. That was a really shitty time, I guess. Uh, that kind of 2009 to 12. That's four. Yeah, that, but that's thing. also like their worst in the last, what, two decades? That one little, yeah, that's that, like three that, or four that, years where it was that's terrible. basically their worst since 1994. And like, yeah. other than that, they're they always like 86 wins, 90 wins, 74. They, they had a losing season of two. Yeah. Man, and, it also makes. Good, so. Yeah. Now almost worse that they're so close and they just refuse to to add a little bit more money. Yeah, to do do something. What are you doing? Yeah. It's it's very upsetting for that reason alone. You're like, why aren't you doing a thing? Do one thing. Yeah, just um, do a thing. Just one thing. Get please win some games. Win the games. Win some games. <laughs> just I, a few. I like looking at attendance numbers for like by the time they had like municipal stadium, like the biggest park like in the world, and they were putting eight hundred and fifty seven thousand people in that in nineteen sixty eight. You're like, Jesus Christ, I must have been so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, what, a, what a great era but yeah so I just uh, I don't know I kind of lost my train of thought there but I don't know I agree with they're, this they're chart yeah. I, I, I want to be getting the chart yeah, but, the we, all, right. but yeah. we all know it's going to be Billy Hampton so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, we, all, we all get it That's we're all on the joke uh, but yeah Merritt that'll do it for us this week um, if you haven't already if you listen to us on Spotify iTunes another great um, podcast oh we're still recording sorry. okay sorry we are <laughs> leave a review 
Um, let us know what you think wherever you listen. Um, follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt R-L-Y. Merritt is at Merrill Lunch, like Merrill Lynch, but with lunch. Um, follow Let's Go Tribe on Twitter and Facebook at Let's Go Tribe. And of course, Let's Go Tribe.com. Uh, Merritt, talk to you next week. I'll be there. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs who have big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.